Is there a vacancy in your town? Is your wife hot? And how do you feel about the plague? It's time to move out. Welcome to the Car Hour. I'm your host, Briar. No, yes, mm, not a big fan of it. Uh, and I'm Nora. And this week we've watched Nosferatu the Vampire, released in 1979 and directed and written by Werner Herzog. But first, have you watched any movies this week, Nora? I haven't watched any movies, but I did rewatch Genlock. Does anyone remember Genlock? That's that's the robot one, right? By the the Halo people. It's the robot. It's the mech anime made by Rooster Teeth. I think produced by Michael B. Jordan and starring Michael B. Jordan. Um, it's a pretty cool show in terms of like the four basic food groups of storytelling, which are of course characters, themes, symbols, and facts. It does have three of the four. Uh, pretty squarely represented. It definitely has characters and symbols and themes. It doesn't really have any facts because there's no world building in the show. Uh, the enemy faction is called the Union, and there's zero information about who they are, what they're doing, or why. Mm. See, that sounds like an important thing to do in a show to me. Well, they're moving from New York to the West and, like, conquering america oh that what a terrible Uh, thing for someone to do also people fleeing the union do so through uh some sort of mechanism called the underground railroad Mm, that's some that's some words that you're using there that's that's a symbol that's a symbol and some themes but there sure aren't any facts Um, it, it uses a lot of words in that show, and I don't know if it knows what it's saying. It's, it also has a fake Hillary Clinton president as the leader of the polity, which is the, like, I guess, good faction. Good in the sense that they're the POV characters, but they're all soldiers, so they're not really good. No. David Tennant's in that show? He's in a lot of things these days, I feel like. Uh, and yeah, this show is about mechs and uh, identity and bodies in a way that I find really uh, interesting and fun to watch. Big mech fans here on the car. Yeah. Don't see them very well, often, I, unfortunately. When I say that it's about bodies in a way that I like, I know that it's it might sound like I'm saying, unlike most mech animes, <laughs> this one is about bodies. But most of them aren't about bodies, actually. I feel like a lot of them are about bodies, but in like a very adjacent way. Hmm. Where it's like part of it, but, but not a focus. It's like uh, an implicit thing, but this is a very explicit thing. Yeah. Like you can you can talk all you want about every mech show being a person entering into an idealized human form to enact violence. Obviously, that's body related. But this is specifically about the the self's body and the self's relationship to the body in a way that, like, no one is pondering in most mech shows that I've seen. Okay, that sounds pretty interesting. A lot of shows kind of just treat it as a car, which is fine. Um, but what if your car could fuck? Hmm. Can't say that's something I've thought about that often. I don't think the mechs in... Genlock can fuck, but they could alter them to fuck. 
I mean, you could probably alter any piece of machinery to fuck. That's true, but... Anyway, uh, outside of that, uh, I put out a new podcast. Oh, really? Uh, uh, Outer Worlds is kind of like a movie, I guess. A bad one. Uh, and I talked about it for like an hour and a half on my new podcast, Journal Updated. Uh, once again, I'm glad you're willing to play that thing more than once so that the rest of us don't have to. It's 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 frustratingly fun to play moment to moment, just for the serotonin of like, ah, I found an, a vending machine and got XP, or I fucking annihilated all these enemies with my lacrosse stick or whatever. I remember very little of it, other than like late game realizing I had infinite bullets and just sort of uh-huh. being in slow mo all the time and shooting people with the minigun. If you want to play a game with slow mo. And bullets. Let me tell you about First Encounter Assault Raycon. Oh, I played that recently. Oh? Yeah, I, I played my way through Fair One. I'm playing my way through, I think, the first DLC at the moment. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm um, having a really good time with those. I feel like the sort of the last section of Fear lets it down a bit. Um, mm-hmm. They sort of swap all the enemies out for one enemy that isn't very good. And that's kind of bad. There's a, there's a spooky cube, is that right? I don't remember any spooky cubes. Is is Alma inside a spooky cube? Alma was inside something, but you don't really see it. Okay, I thought there was a spooky cube. I'm always down for a spooky cube. That was, that was a lack of spooky cubes, I feel. The second game has mechs. Yeah, sorry, I, apparently the second and third aren't good from what I hear, unfortunately. It seems like they I mean, really keep going with the whole Alma stuff, and I <laughs> did look up what the ending to Fear 2 is, and it's abhorrent. Yeah. As the person who, in 2020, really likes Fear as a story, not what I would have written. No, they should have done an anthology thing. Really. Like, the DLC should have cleared up the Alma story, they should have moved on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> they did something else. It's. I mean, Fear 3 barely has an ending. Fear 3 has the final boss of Mass Effect 2. Uh, the giant human reaper that came out of nowhere. The the big human terminator. The big man. Thing. Yeah. But it's ghosts. Okay. But you do the same thing. You shoot it in the eyeball. Video games might not be good. Video games. Maybe we should just stop video games. You know what? If only someone could start, like, a company dedicated to stopping games. Some sort of game-stopping system. That would be great. Mm, uh, it doesn't seem feasible to me, unfortunately. Kickstoppers. <laughs> <laughs> you you pay us money not to make the thing? <laughs> uh, I have also watched some movies this week. Well, not this week. Oh! Since we last recorded. Oh, sorry. Yes? I also watched Annihilation. Oh, I liked that movie enough, I feel like. I had a good time watching it. I told Autumn that it was an erotic movie, and they didn't really know what to do with that information. But I stand by it. Maybe not the word I personally would have used to describe it. I think that the way that... uh, Like... 
I don't know. There is, there is, like, I'm not saying that it's sexy, but it is erotic in the way that it portrays, like, the transformation and the mutation of living things and, like, the iteration of, of plants and animals and things like that. And the way that they move and the way that they, like, change. I don't know. There's vibes. Yeah, I can see where you're going for that. But, um, it was, it was neat. I, like, it was the most, like, ah, yeah, checks note, check, like, checks the list, good movie, into the bin, like, (laughs) not gonna think about this one, probably, but was a good time. Yeah, this is a, this was a fun experience, but I'm probably not coming back to this too much. Unless we do it for the podcast, in which case I'll, like, try to look at it more closely, but it was, it was basically just I had a good night with some, uh, I think, I think Autumn and I were both relaxing with some food that she had cooked and, uh, some wine and it was a nice night, but. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a movie that is, like, full of pretty things and pretty ideas, I feel like. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like me. Just like you. Uh, anyway, the stuff I watched was... One horror movie and one not a horror movie. I watched The Usual Suspects, which is the uh, horror movie. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> um, I feel like everyone knows the deal behind that movie at this point. I've n- I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. I don't. I've never heard of it. That is the probably the ideal way to watch The Usual Suspects. <laughs> um, I feel like that's definitely kind of a movie that comes down to the wire on its twist. Hmm. Um, but still good. I enjoyed it. The horror movie I watched was The Last House on the Left. Which I wish was better. I feel like it has mm-hmm. it has a very good premise, but then kind of gets to the point where it's ready to deliver and doesn't doesn't really do the best job of selling the, the premise it sets up. Maybe one we could do on the podcast at some point, but I don't know if we'd have that much to talk about it on it really. Sure. Um, what else I mean, are... there's a lot of horror movies that we could do for the podcast and say we don't have that much to talk about, and then just talk for an hour. True. Like, <laughs> would need many content warnings for Last House on the Left, though. So, life finds a way. Um, yeah. Aside from that, I don't think I've been watching much else. So, are you ready to talk about vampires? I am always, literally, always ready to talk about vampires. I can't believe you would even have to ask. I just have to make sure.
Um, I forgot to do content warnings last week. I don't really feel like there is many to mention this one, aside from we will probably get into some discussion of like the current situation in the world of COVID, I feel like. We given, don't have to. Sure, but like, given the more effective like horror scenes in this movie, I feel like it would be hard not to talk about them in context. We'll play it by ear, but um, yeah, I don't know. Sure. I don't know that I have anything interesting to say about like watching Nosferatu the Vampire in the Age of COVID, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, anyway, so the credits roll over scenes of mummified bodies, which are real bodies from the color of Pernick in uh, Mexico, culminating in slow footage of a batting flight as a woman wakes from a nightmare, terrified. Her name is Lucy, and her husband, who sleeps in a separate bed, arises to console her as she claims that she's seen something horrible. We get some nice shots of their hometown and some lovely cats as the credits finish up. Ah, this movie is set in Germany, but it's filmed in the Netherlands, I believe. Hmm. We were trying to figure that out, because Autumn was like, you... I thought this was London, but there's canals. Yeah, I... Why would you fucking put canals on an island? I saw the canals and my brain just <laughs> immediately went like, oh, Amsterdam, this is the Netherlands. It isn't actually Amsterdam, <laughs> but it, it is the Netherlands. It's just like... It made sense to me being Germany because I was like, oh, rivers. I get I get that, I guess. I just have never heard of canals. I didn't realize Amsterdam had canals. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about Amsterdam. This... But also the the but also the bat footage uh, is, I'm pretty sure, just a direct homage to the uh, original Nosferatu. Possibly. I believe it is taken from like a... Um... Like a gosh, what do they call it? When you film animals for like science, not for fun. Uh, how do you feel film animals not for fun? Like a documentary um, or yeah, it's it's from like a, a documentary biology thing, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I seem to remember shots like that of bats from Nosferatu, but I didn't finish Nosferatu, and it was like 10 years ago when I tried to watch it. Um, I should revisit it. It's probably good. It's probably good, says Nora, about a movie that is maybe like the biggest classic vampire movie, like, or most influential, at least, vampire movie ever. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Dracula is also iconic, but like, come on, it's Nosferatu. I haven't seen the original, but I do understand that a lot of shots in this are, like, direct homages to it. Yeah, yeah, there are a couple of those that I did recognize from what I had seen. Like, the, uh, they don't do the hallway shot that everyone knows, uh, but they did do the bedroom. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, Lucy takes breakfast with Jonathan, her husband, who quickly rushes off to work and is given a secretive task by who I assume is his boss, Renfield, a man with a habitual shrill laugh. Renfield has given him the job of selling a house to one Count Dracula, currently living out in Transylvania a few weeks' travel away, and notes that the task will not be easy. It will surely require a lot of sweat, and even a little blood. The task requires him to set off immediately, but not before he spends some quality time on the beach with his wife. She seems to think he'll be in terrible danger, but he goes anyway. In the meanwhile, Lucy is to stay with Shrada and Mina, who I assume are either relatives or friends of Jonathan. Mm-hmm. 
um, while he is traveling. And there's some more really nice shots of the town here. It looks like a very nice place. So Jonathan journeys away for a while before reaching a roadside tavern to stay for the night. Upon hearing that he's headed to Camp Dracula's castle, the locals are shocked. They want him not to go. The castle is cursed with all sorts of evils and that no carriage will carry him there. Uh, there are people at the village who I assume are Romani, uh, who in particular try to warn him that the castle only exists in the minds of men and that anyone who enters it is lost forever. Yeah, um... They use a different word in the English version. Not one I feel they need to do. They do give him just a bestiary. They give him a monster manual. Yes, they give him a little guide on vampires and similar creatures. Um, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's something like vampires and other creatures that feed on men. Including succubuses and incubuses. Um, In the morning, Jonathan tries to negotiate passage from a coachman who denies the existence of the Borgo Pass, his coach, and his horses until Jonathan leaves him alone. Fucking love this scene. Um, and Jonathan sets off on foot instead, hiking through the pass until he is eventually picked up by a coach and delivered to the castle. Well, Count Dracula, a bald but otherwise very ratty man, greets him and welcomes him inside, where food is served. Dracula explains that it's too early for him to eat, and a, a very awkward Jonathan is served a drink, quietly eats, the Count watching on intently. He is served a drink in the tallest, most ornate fucking wine glass I have ever seen. It's more like a vase. It's so thin. I mean, like, it's almost a straw, really. It's, it's just kind of a big glass straw. It's like a, it's like a foot tall, and it's just sort of like set in front of him. And he slowly reaches over and starts pouring into the into the glass while maintaining eye contact with Jonathan. It's perfect. I fucking love it. I cannot imagine a less convenient like way to drink anything, really. <laughs> um, speaking of not doing things very conveniently, Jonathan sort of tries to cut bread while holding it with the knife pointed directly at his fingers and cuts himself. Uh, and Dracula, ever ever the accommodating host, offers to suck the blood up for him on account of the possibility that the knife wasn't clean. He might get blood poisoning, so it's for the best. Jonathan tries to convince him otherwise, and the Count does it anyway, getting a brief taste of that good crimson stuff. Clearly isn't enough, and Dracula ends up chasing him to a seat in the fireplace, where they both take a seat, Jonathan eventually falling asleep. He calls it nature's oldest remedy. Yes. And then he like, very menacingly chases him to the fireplace, and is just like, mm, we should sit for a while. That's <laughs> um, a good scene. Yeah. I, I really like this Dracula just being kind of old and wary, but also like still very predatory. Yeah. Um, the problem with this movie mm-hmm. is that while I'm watching it, my brain is saying, uh, is just throwing out memories of Dracula dead and loving it. Don't think I've seen that. In that movie, Dracula is played by Leslie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And um, in that in the scene the when he cuts his finger i'm pretty sure there's just like a like a like like a squib that goes off there's just like a lot of blood like a hose <laughs> that's what i would have guessed if you had asked me what would happen <laughs> um yeah it's a mel brooks joint you know yeah unfortunately it is just a little bit but it is enough to whet the appetites of our good friend dracula 
The following morning, Jonathan awakes with some bite marks on his neck and wanders around the castle for a while, briefly looking for a, a phantom child that is heard playing a, a fiddle, probably. I'm not a, a string instrument person. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what instrument it is. Um, he can't find the child, but does eventually find his belongings tucked away up in a bedroom. He fills out a page in his diary directed at Lucy, apparently dismissing his experiences the previous night as a dream. That evening, he goes over the house sale with Dracula, noting that the house he's being sold is very near to his own, and the Count sees a picture of Lucy that Jonathan keeps in a locket. She seems like his type, so Dracula closes the deal very quickly, willing to pay whatever price Jonathan sets. It is a small matter between gentlemen. Um, I feel like Dracula, you could probably get some like OnlyFans subs and still have some money left to fix the castle. <laughs> but if this is what he wants to do, this is what he wants to do. He asks Jonathan how long it takes to travel to Wismar, which is a while on land. I believe it was three or four weeks. Yeah. Um, when I was watching this movie, I thought what he said was, it's a small matter for a German. <laughs> which didn't really make sense, but did kind of make sense, if that makes we're sense. All, we're all carrying around that house money. Um, I believe he mentions that Lucy has a, a nice neck, which, like, come on, you're not even hiding it. <laughs> No, everything, like, Autumn was telling me before we watched this movie that this movie had all this subtext about the plague and everything, um, and then we were watching it, and they were like, wow, this is just text, huh? <laughs> and, like, the yeah. vampirism stuff is also that. Um, it is extremely not a mystery that no. he's a vampire. It it must be purposeful that they are both, like, so front and center, because to me, like, the crux of this movie to me is the juxtaposition of... The Dracula stuff being presented as the focus, but is, like, really goofy. And then the plague stuff kind of lurking in the wings actually being what is kind of scary here. Mm. Um, also, up to this point, I think it's pretty close. Like, it's not exact, but it's like, it's it's Dracula, you know? Um, everyone who tries to read Dracula and doesn't finish it gets to the part where he goes up to the to the village and they say don't go up there and he says but i must and then the cool coach comes and takes him up to the castle and then he falls asleep and gets the suck um that's about as far as i got in the book um but as i understand it this is where things start to like diverge as this is a sort of an adaptation of an adaptation of dracula yeah i mean Herzog really liked the original Nesratu, though, Nesratu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a send-up to it. It is weird to have Nosferatu, but, like, using the right names. <laughs> like, yeah. like, actually being called Dracula instead of Orlok. And, like, the Nosferatu is definitely said in this movie. Yeah, I think it's said as the name, as, like... I guess it's probably, like, the German name for vampire, right? Maybe? Mm. I don't know. I'm a big dumby. Uh, has been presented as a possibly archaic Romanian word synonymous with vampire. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But um, it one of the many suggested etymologies of the term is that it derives from the Romanian nesuferit. Um, but when it's used in that book, it is used as sort of a um, sort of like an a platonic vampire. Like, or the name of 
the the i the idea of a vampire or or something like that it felt like a proper proper noun title for the concept of a vampire in a way mm. or the curse that brings vampirism something like that uh but yeah no, uh nosferatu orlock and dracula both have the like mouse teeth rather than the now modern uh like canine fangs yeah the style of fangs doesn't really work for me but i I do understand what they're going for and do appreciate it Uh uh-huh with the whole like rats imagery with the the plague yeah um it means that some things are a little goofy just a little bit just a little goofy i think that this uh, we'll get to it but the the tone of this movie is fucking perfect in my opinion yeah it's really good uh, in his room, Jonathan reads a little bit more of his vampire book, learning that they take refuge in the coffins of plague victims. Later that night, he is awoken as Dracula visits him in his room, looming over him menacingly before descending to give him the old suck a second time. Um, the scene is like very goofy, but also if anything loomed over me in the night, I would be so scared that my bones would turn to dust, so it works. While this is happening, Lucy gets up and sleepwalks, their supernatural encounters seemingly tied. She calls out to Jonathan as she wakes, and Dracula seems to hear her before falling back asleep. All hearts are connected. Damn. <laughs> Is Dracula no, in Kingdom Hearts? Uh, are there vampires in Kingdom Hearts? Does Disney have vampires? Is there a vampire in Nightmare Before Christmas? There must be, right? There must be. Um, the shot of Dracula in the doorway sneaking up on Jonathan is like one for one to one from Nosferatu for sure. That's the one I, that I know for sure. It's so good. It's very good. And he has his hand like as a claw but down at his side. Oh, he just like slowly descends on him. It's very good. It's great. Um, unfortunately, I know what happens when I have like sleep paralysis or anything and see a figure near me, which is I do swing for them the second I can move again so I feel like Dracula would probably kill me. Mm-hmm. I think Which, Dracula would probably kill most of us. Probably, yeah. I guess he sees something in Jonathan. Because Jonathan wakes up the next day, looking a little bit worse for wear, and stumps around the house to find that all the doors are locked. He goes down into an undercroft and finds Dracula sleeping in a stone coffin, at which point he freaks out and takes refuge in his room again. Later on through the window, he notices Dracula piling up coffins and getting him on before they are carried away by the coach. He tries to climb down using bedsheets as a rope, but falls and hits the floor, being awoken the next morning by the Phantom Fiddler. Meanwhile, the coffins are being transported down the river by some guys with a raft, before they are loaded onto a sailing ship, the Kentavana, marked as containing soil for experiments and bound for Vismar. Um, I thought Kentavana might have been something to do with, like, I might have a similar route to like, contaminate, but it, it doesn't, as far as I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, just a fun little coincidence there's a great scene where the guy on the boat is like this seems fucking shady open one of these coffins i want to see what's in it and then it's just dirt and rats the papers check out yeah eventually jonathan somehow makes it back to the village and warns them about the black coffins despite being ill he takes his horse and heads off home to try and get there first back in vismar ran ryan Renfield has been put in solitary confinement after biting a cow and is trying to eat flies, heralding his master's arrival and all sorts of other business. 
The Contamana's captain fills out a log, and we learn that most of the crew have taken ill with disease, or have otherwise gone missing, though their course remains steady. Renfield steals a paper from a guard and reads that the plague has appeared in Transylvania as well as the port that the ship had set sail from. Its captain, assumedly the last person left alive, ties himself to the wheel and is killed that night by Dracula. These are like really quick scenes, but they like fill out a lot of this like time passage. Mm-hmm. There are multiple shots from a helicopter orbiting this uh, ship as it's going, which is nice. As, like, something horrible is quietly happening on board the ship. Autumn was like, you could have used a model, but no, you rented a helicopter, I guess. You've got to have the nice ship. Because the ship ship is going to show up in a lot closer proximity, so you need it. Yeah. Uh, This whole, like, story of, you know, the spooky ghost boat with dead bodies in it and something mysterious happened is, like, a favorite of mine. I love that shit. I love when a boat mysteriously washes up in your town and there's like spooky shit inside yeah like whatever happens on board this boat could be an entire like movie on its own it is i'm pretty sure is several movies Hmm. boat movies huh boat horror that's my favorite subgenre (laughs) nautical horror there you go Uh, adrift the contamana floats into vismar's canal and stops there a ghost ship with a terrible cargo. A crowd draws around it as the ship is checked out, finding not a soul on board other than the dead captain and a hold full of rats. The captain's body is inspected at the town hall by Dr. Van Helsing, which <laughs> I, I know is a name in this story, but it is always surprising to have it doled out in something like with this mood. Uh-huh. Um, my brain only recognizes Van Helsing as man with big crossbow and hat. It's... Listen... Van Helsing 2004 is a great fucking movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But a slight departure from the mythos, I find. A little bit. Um, but that is my favorite Dracula in any movie. I uh, we should we should watch him do that. I haven't seen that movie in a while. We should watch that for the podcast. <laughs> but fortunately, this Van Helsing cannot diagnose the bite marks on the man's neck. He and some other officials check out the Contamana's log, which mentions the possibility that the plague is to blame. Hysteria quickly spreads through the room as everyone rushes to leave and get themselves to safety. Rats begin to pile out of the Contamana. Having made Vismar his new home, Dracula unloads the coffins by himself and hides them around town, getting briefly upset by a crucifix in the process. A coach arrives in town the next morning, carrying a delirious Jonathan who is so ill he does not even seem to remember his wife. Van Helsing diagnoses it as a severe brain fever, as Jonathan complains that the sun is hurting him. Take a hint, Doc. Uh, Lucy takes a second to go off on one for a moment here about what if we're all the crazy ones, really? Uh, Dracula goes for a nighttime walk to find the two of them, before letting himself into the latter's room to invite her to do vampire stuff. (laughs) She rattles off some goth poetry she probably wrote in a notebook from Hot Topic and shows him her cross necklace. He quickly excuses himself. Every character is speaking in poetry in the second half of this movie. That's very good. It's wonderful. It's so mm. ethereal and dramatic. It it comes out really well here because Dracula, possibly like the most, the only supernatural person in the story, really shows up and is just like, "Don't worry, your husband's not going to die." 
And Lucy's response is immediately, oh, but we all die, really. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Dracula just wants some love. She doesn't have any for him, so he has to leave. The way he reacts to crosses is so good. Yeah. <laughs> ah, ah, no. Oh. He reacts to crosses the same way I react to like a drink I've mixed a little bit too strong. Mm-hmm. Another good thing in the scene is she is watching, she is facing a mirror throughout the entire scene, and we get the door opening and Dracula walking in without his representation in the mirror, other than a shadow. Mm-hmm. And that worked really well for me. I like that. It's great. Um, followed by like a quick pan just rightwards to reveal Dracula stood there, like taking up most of the frame. He's very <laughs> sneaky. But unfortunately, not everyone is doing as well as Lucy in this moment, as coffins of play victims are carried through the town by the dozen. Renfield escapes from prison, and Lucy reads a bit about vampires. Uh, at this point, Dracula also commands Renfield to leave the movie. And go to the, uh... <laughs> uh, having learned about vampires now, Lucy tries to get involved with local politics, but it turns out that everyone is dead, actually. Uh, she tries to go to the town hall to tell them what is causing the plague, but there is no town hall anymore. There is no mayor anymore. None of the people carrying coffins through town, nor Van Helsing, believe her claims that a vampire is to blame. Van Helsing also declines to help her search for Dracula, so she vows to do it alone. Dracula goes for a nighttime run. He just runs across this huge plaza and scares some <laughs> birds away, and then he runs off screen, and then he runs back on the screen, and then he runs back off screen again. It's fucking delightful. It's so good. It's Voldemort motherfucker running around in his boots. God bless this elderly man. <laughs> you know what? I'll say it. I'm not afraid to say it. Klaus Kinski, pretty good actor. Yep, I had a lot of fun with him in this movie. Uh, Lucy investigates the building where rats seem to be congregating and finds one of the coffins, which she sprinkles broken up communion wafers into, assumingly trying to trap the count. Is that what that was? I think they are. Like, they're, they're round. She's using them to consecrate things. I cannot imagine what they would be other than, like, communion wafers. I didn't even think of that. It's it's the body of Christ. Yeah, makes sense. Like, if you're gonna make something holy, I can't imagine anything more effective. I thought they were like flower petals or something, and I didn't really understand it. No, not like perfectly circular. I thought it was like a weird intersection of like plague folklore and religious iconography. If that makes sense. That makes sense. But um, anyway. The next day, she wanders through the near-empty Vismar, furniture and coffins discarded in the street, livestock roaming free, and those yet to die of the plague living their last together in the town square, drinking, dancing, and feasting. Lucy joins a group at a table, dressed in their finest and enjoying their last supper. Rats surround them, and a moment later, they are the only ones left at this table. Uh, this is like the spookiest scene in the movie to me, or, or at least like the most somber and effective Mm-hmm. This is a a big a big one where it feels like everyone is talking in poetry. Yeah. This um, feels like a very like metaphorical scene for what happens here over like yeah. two days. Like everything with the plague in the town is this sort of um dreamscape mood piece. Yeah. Like, the whole movie is a fucking mood piece, but this is just a very specifically, like... It, as, as society starts to crumble, it start like, 
everything starts to adopt this sort of dream logic. Yeah. Um, it's very good. Like the a lot of things in this movie have talked about as being dreamlike. Um, and it's very interesting how that extends not just to the supernatural stuff, but also just to like these people having their last day. Yeah, like the collapse of of like the society around them and like the structures of their city and the like the it it, it all like coincides with this uh dissolution of of like structure like metaphysically as well it's 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 i like it yeah i love it this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie sometime after lucy is woken by a maid and brought to the house she had been staying at while jonathan was away when mina has been found dead not by the plague but by dracula's hand or teeth i guess she vows to put an end to him and puts her plan into action that night she encircles Jonathan, who is now looking very vampire with crushed communion wafers that he cannot cross, and lures Dracula to her room. She offers herself up to him, enticing him to keep biting her after he has drunk his fill until morning comes. Confronted with the first light of morning through the open window, Dracula is reduced to a rigid corpse curled up in the corner of the room like a dead spider. Having held out this long, Lucy also smugly breathes her last. Sometime later... Van Helsing comes by to pronounce her death, cursing himself that he had not listened to her earlier. With a stake and hammer, he makes sure that Dracula is dead for sure. Jonathan wincing as the blow is heard. He yells for help and accuses Van Helsing of murdering the Count. Fortunately, there is nobody left to really arrest him, and nobody left to guard him at the prison, so he's led off by an employee of the town who is very unsure what to do with the Doctor. After they've left... Jonathan gets a maid to clean up the stuff trapping him and steps out, tearing off his cross necklace and declaring that he has much to do. Clad in fluttering black clothes, just like the Counts, Jonathan leaves on horseback. And that's the end.
it was very good. I was like, Dracula is clearly like, mm, okay, it's time for me to go. <laughs> um, sh- sure wish I could stay here and have some more blood. <sighs> when you nut and you keep sucking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, Nora. <laughs> what? Oh, I, it's okay. I really adore these two people at the end talking about arresting Van Helsing and the two people on the boat arguing about like, well, the papers check out. So let's, I just want to check the dirt. Like the little side characters are so good. And especially the one at the end uh, when they're trying to arrest him is very funny. Yeah. There's so many like good little moments of mundane email. Like again, this discussion between what I assume he has, like, a uniform kind of on, so I assume he's maybe, like, the captain of the guard or something. Is used to having authority, but not to, like, physically doing anything of it. And this one remaining town employee, who is, like, this very old short man in, a, <laughs> in like, a suit. <sighs> God bless them both. They don't know what to do. Um, the way Jonathan steps out of this circle, the second there is enough space in the, the line for him to move through is very funny also. And he does a little... <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie's great. Uh, it's it's. I immediately finished watching it and put it in my like top four slot and letterboxed. I think really surprised me, both how like genuinely like sorrowful and like tired a lot of this movie is, whilst also being like really funny on spots. Yeah, I feel like from what I have heard, that's kind of the Herzog touch. Mm, I have seen nothing else of his work, I think. I haven't seen anything but this. Um, but Autumn watched one um, that was about capitalism a while back. Autumn did recommend to me a short movie where he eats a shoe, which I should watch. Yes, I should have watched that before this episode. I meant to do that. He does eat his shoe. He, like, cooks and eats his shoe. Can you think how much how much more context we would have had with that, with that experience <laughs> under our belts? I also wanted to watch the German version of the movie, but I didn't have time. I can say that, but I can't speak German, so... I have heard a lot of German. Um, I used to know a lot more of it than I do now um, when I was living in Germany. That tends to happen. Um, but... Movie good. I don't know. Like, I fucking love vampires because you could do so many things with them. And I, you know, I yes. have my own lens for writing vampire stuff. Um, and I'm and always it's interested. It's really good to... having a little bit more, like, closer to the origin of this kind of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good to finally watch something with that. Because uh, I know a lot of stuff riffs on, like, this kind of, like, ratty vampire. Band. And also, um,. It's neat to see this sort of treated differently. Like, it's not... Here's Dracula's power list. Here's his move set. He can turn into a wolf and a bat and mist. And and this is how you fight him and this is how you beat him. It's just kind of... Like, it alludes to all, a lot of things that they can do. He doesn't do all of those because that's not what this movie is. It's not about Dracula being the cool guy with the superpowers. Yeah, this is largely about Dracula being a tired old man who lives in the woods and moves to the big city. Yeah, and brings 
a few friends. <laughs> Brings his pets with him. Do the record scratch on Walking on Sunshine. This summer. <sighs> um, yeah, did you want to talk about some of the development stuff, the production stuff behind this movie? Yeah, I thought it was important to at least briefly mention the, like, the claims of animal cruelty in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently the rats were not treated very well at all. They were imported from Hungary um, and apparently had started to eat each other upon arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, Herzog insisted that the, the white rats were dyed grey. This was not done very safely. Apparently this like killed a lot of the rats again. And they largely just licked the dye off anyway. Um, most of this comes from a biologist that was hired for the movie, um, who also implied that the sheep and the horses were not treated very well either, but didn't specify any further than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, take from that, if you will. I don't know if that is true or not, but like, why yeah. people lie? Um, did you know know about the sequel to this movie? Um, are you talking about the 1988 Italian horror film Nosferatu in Venice, a name-only sequel, once again featuring Kinski in the title role? Uh-huh. Nosferatu in... Or also known as Vampire in Venice, or Prince of the Night. It was the original U.S. title. That, can, I, can I just read you a little bit? Because if you want to talk about uh, a collapsing dream state dreamscape let me tell you about vampire in venice which is the the wikipedia article title go ahead uh so after securing kinski for the lead of nosferatu producer august caminito planned a sequel to herzog's nosferatu the vampire caminito originally secured Maurizio lucidi as the director but later felt that the film would be much would be better with a more well-known director and a higher budget causing him to be dropped as the director in favor of uh, Pas- Pasquale Squitieri. I don't, I don't know Italian very well. Um, who made several changes to the script that did not appeal to Caminito, which led to him paying the guy and terminating his contract. This led to further bud- budget cuts on the film and hiring Mario Cayano on as the director after clashing with kinski on set he left the film leading caminito to direct the film himself so that's three directors who quit before Uh the producer had to step in and direct it during filming kinski would not follow rehearsal and demanded change in actors and often had lighting to be changed had lighting be changed dramatically on set according to second unit director Kinsey's behavior on set became so erratic that the entire crew left the set and did not return until Kinsky apologized for his behavior. After six weeks of filming, Caminito came to the conclusion that he did not have the entire film completed, but that he also could not continue with the project. This led to entire sections of the rewritten screenplay by Caminito not being shot and him making do with what he had. Uh, Kinsky sounds like a little bit of a diva. A little bit. Um, there, I watched a, cl- a clip of um, him yelling at Herzog, and just Herzog saying, "Yeah, he would be. He would go into these like screaming fits, and when we would film right after that, he would really create something wonderful." <laughs> because he was exhausted. <laughs> um, 
it is so weird that they got like unofficially completely different cast got the same actor to be like the same version of Dracula in a different movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the guy that plays Wolverine a lot? What's his name again? Hugh Jackman, Van Helsing. Can Can you imagine if they just if someone did like a completely different movie? With Hugh Jackson playing like a guy with knives on out of his hands, <laughs> and it wasn't definitely wasn't Wolverine, but here's Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. <laughs> That's unimaginable. Uh, a spiritual successor, you might call it. Yeah. Oh dear, this movie sounds like it did not do particularly well. Oh, I have one more detail for this sequel movie. A day, mm-hmm. a day prior to its premiere, Caminito claimed Vampire in Venice to be one hour and 46 minutes in length. The copy submitted to the ratings board had a 98-minute running time, and current home video copies run at 89 minutes. Hmm. So what happened? <laughs> you know, when you make movies, sometimes just, like, runtime disappears. Sometimes you just don't is. finish the movie. <laughs> sometimes parts of the movie are bad and you have to, you have to delete them. For the best, it's the oldest remedy. Seal nature's oldest remedy: the delete button. Use it on your bad tweets, people. Oh dear. Do you want to move on to some questions? Yeah, I do. Think it's just. I'm gonna send you a picture of what he looks like um, in the movie because. It I did ain't... notice on the Wikipedia page that it said he refused to shave his head uh-huh. all about the fangs, which is incredibly funny. There he is. He's in the Cower Hour chat. Fucking Snape looking ass. <laughs> Looks like a completely different person. <laughs> What's even the point, really, then? That's movie making for you. We got an email about this movie. Um, I sent it to you, so I should be able to find it in our DMs. We got an email from Tron. Who's your favorite character? Shit. Um. <laughs> oh, I have to give it to Dracula. He's very funny. He's very good. Uh, the like, the cross of tired of immortality, wanting to die, and also like goofy Voldemort motherfucker throwing rats at people. Just, he's just great. <laughs> Him prancing across the town square at night is just going to be like etched into my brain forever. The Good image shit. of Dracula that I tweeted is from about six seconds before he runs across the town square. That's a very good version of Dracula. It is. Um, if you had a choice, would you want to live forever? Um, I mean, it, it depends what baggage that comes with. Uh huh. If it was just like live forever as I am. Like, as like a human, yeah, probably I fucking go for it. Mm-hmm. I bet the heat death of the universe sucks, but it's gonna be a while before we get there. Oh, you won't make it that far. Uh, I guess the Earth will probably implode before that. Yeah, if you could, if I don't want to live forever, I just want to like choose when I have to opt opt out. You know? Yeah, like, I like I, that version of immortality. But like, if, yep, I'm just gonna, I'm done. Yeah, I'm logging off. <laughs> um, um, just to be able to, like, oh, I'll take another century. But um, also, I... Look, the whole appeal of vampirism for me is the ability to, like, drastically change your body. And I would love to just have a body that doesn't break or get hurt 
in the way that mine does. Yeah, um, that would be good. Imagine just like being like supernaturally able-bodied forever. Just, yeah, I could go for that. That'd be nice. Got to blood occasionally to keep it up. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. There, there are lots of people who it is a moral good to suck their blood. Yeah, I mean, there are worse things to drink than blood. I'm going to leave that one where you said it. Um, unfortunately, uh, uh, Tron asks about the homoerotic tension between Dracula and Jonathan. Unfortunately, that element does not make it into this movie. Um, that is an element of Dracula that uh, sometimes is more present or not. Uh, I don't think this one is a particularly sexy vampire. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of it in like the dining scene and the chase there. Mm, I That's don't anyway, see though. it, but you're valid. I mean, I'm not picking it out for me. I'm just <laughs> saying. Um, Tron asks about the portrayal of mental illness in this movie, but uh, I... I think it really was. I, yeah, like, Renfield is in a straitjacket, but Renfield is a thrall of Dracula. Like, he is yeah. not mentally ill. Uh, and, like, sometimes I'm just, like, willing to just say, that's the supernatural thing. That's not real. You know what I mean? Like, uh, even if it appears, like... Yeah, I also took it to be more of, like, your bullshit. I don't need to play by the rules of, like, your dumb society. Like, my vampiric master is here. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's going to be rats in the streets in about 20 minutes. Is Renfield the Harley Quinn of vampires? Hmm. A question for the ages. Truly, truly. Uh, the answer would be no, because Renfield is pathetic. Hmm. Well. I guess Harley Quinn is in some incorrect, like, incarnations, yeah, like, right? Not, not all Harley Quinns are good characters. <laughs> some, some of them are very bad characters, because, you know... Hmm. 352 people have written Harley Quinn. (laughs) Yeah, too many chefs, huh? Too many chefs spoil the Harley Quinn. A famous old saying. But speaking of spoiling things, and things that are spoiled, and things that uh, spread um, like like a plague, are you ready for the Funka Zone? I am. Take me away. I'm whisking you away in my in my ornate uh, carriage to Funko.com, which greets us with Spring Refresh and some oh. monsters. Chester and the Big Race. Wet now, Forest? Dracula's pretty pretty famous, so I imagine we'll have some some like textually <laughs> correct Funkos maybe. Oh Briar, I'm not typing Dracula in. Oh dear. Although, at the top of the Funko page does have a bar that says questions related to COVID-19. Learn more here. I'm not going to get COVID news from Funko.com. I'm sorry. I bet some people are, though. I bet some people are. Anyway, I'm going to click the search bar. We're going to type in Osferatu the Vampire. So, as expected, there's a Nosferatu pop that you're going to be 
Rating. I guess this is just from normal Nosferatu. Like classic. Uh, 19. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot this in the dark. I'm gonna say 1920. 1918. 1918. I'm gonna guess 1918 on Nosferatu. That's probably around there somewhere. Uh, I'm gonna post the link here in the chat. Uh, sorry about the bloop bloops. They're very loud. Um. Uh, yes, I see him. So, what we have here is a Nosferatu, as Nosferatu you said. Nosferatu is 1922. I fucked that up. I was going to say that. 21, and I was like, no, it's 18. But no, it's 22. Um, first thing that leaps out to me here is that those claws are not long enough. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure the guy had longer claws than that. Um, skin tone also looks a little bit, a little bit off. Am I right mm-hmm. there? I was really expecting this to be more sepia. Hmm, yeah. Especially if it is the original Nosferatu. Um, mm-hmm. That might explain the jacket, which I don't recognize, but again, haven't seen the original. Uh, maybe the fashion was slightly different in that incarnation. Uh, other than that, I guess, I don't super have a lot to go on here. This is kind of a really, really plain fungo. Um, which does net it about sort of the average zero Funkos out of five. I have sent you an image. Oh, yes, I guess that is the coat. That is the coat from Nosferatu. Much much longer claws on this fellow. Yeah. I guess maybe they'd be too fragile on the pop. But then yeah. you should think about what things you're making pops of. Yeah. Maybe you could make more things like this 10-inch Cthulhu. Which sounds like a bad dragon product. It is a bad dragon product. <laughs> and you know what? Here, let me let me bad dragon. Let me let me just fucking type in Cthulhu and see what happens. Whoa! Betide the direction of the show when we swap from Funko to Bad Dragon. Um, is there a search bar on this website? Is there a search bar on this website? How often do you think people are going to Bad Dragon and heading up a search bar? Uh, not very often, considering I can't find one. I think people who go there know what they're after. Yeah. Maybe if I click shop now? No, this is just a... Just a big inventory list, basically. Yeah, I'm not not going to be able to find... Uh... They got a lot of products over there. You know what? I'll just control F. How do you spell Cthulhu? Uh, C-T-H-U-L-U. No, H-U. Pretty sure. Probably. Uh, I mean, if they did have a Cthulhu product, it probably wouldn't be called Cthulhu. It would be called, like, some odd Lovecraftian name. Old one. Yeah. Old one's tentacle. Wink, wink. Yeah, old, ancient, and deep are all getting no, no results on this page, so. Damn, unexpected. Uh, in case you're wondering, um, made-to-order uh, toys are no longer being produced currently because of the uh, state of the world. Yeah, you know, they just can't be sending out COVID doodles to anyone. Yeah. So well, that's going to bring us to the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> oh, but would you like a sticker for your laptop or whatever uh, in the Doom font that says Dong? No. Let's end the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's a lot there's a lot on this website. Sure is. You could make a whole podcast about this in the same vein as our Funko stuff. But anyway. Why can people find you on the internet, Nora? You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. You can find everything I do at NoraBlake.online. You can find me on the Export Audio Patreon network at patreon.com slash export audio. You can find my new podcast journal updated on the Abnormal Mapping podcast network, which is at abnormalmapping.com. And you can find me in your heart. And where do they send their questions and after this episode, more importantly, complaints? Uh, you can send all questions and comments to at bombsfall on Twitter. <laughs> That's not us. Scoff. It's just a person. <laughs> you can just complain about our podcast. <laughs> but you can send in emails to exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Wagazow and the tabletop games I make on itch under the same name. Please do not send complaints about our podcast to Scott Benson. Uh, well, don't not send complaints about our podcast to Scott Benson. Time's up for the Cower Hour. <laughs> Join us next week as we watch the Death Note movie from Netflix. But until then, good night. Good night.